0: Last week, Pastor RJ brought us a message about fasting and our church fast officially starts today, which is exciting. Um, If you have any questions, you missed last week's message, find someone, ask them about what we're doing for the fast, and you can join in with us. Um, But today's message...
1: Continuing our series on effective habits, and this one is serving the community, and Pastor Larry and Dez are going to come up and bring this week's message. Thanks, guys. Have a blessed day. Okay, how many of you are excited to be here this morning? Only half of you? You know, um, there is a lot going on here at WCF, and um, specifically in this period of time, uh, they talked about the encounter coming up. Honestly, let me tell you, if you have not been on one of the one-day encounters, you're missing out. Um, it really is, um, it is what it says. It's an encounter. And sometimes we go through life and we feel a little dull in life. We feel like, you know, we're just kind of dragging our feet and, and we're missing out on something. And um, um, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit's up to something. I, I really felt the move of the Holy Spirit through worship this morning. And, um, you know, uh, I just appreciate the worship teams that come Forward and bring us into that spirit of connecting with the Holy, with the Holy Spirit, connecting with what God is doing. Amen. And um, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Um, it's all part of, of our coming into abiding, coming into that relationship. And the encounter is that. It is an opportunity to encounter God in a way that we haven't encountered Him before. It's a, it's a way of being able to come together as a body. And just shed off those things that slow us down and hinder us so that we can walk freely in the Spirit. And so if you have not registered for an encounter, I encourage you to do so. Um, You know, Pastor, I said
2: in the first service, probably I'll say it again here. You know, when we go to these encounters, when we take some of the classes that are happening around here, you know, it, it reminds me of kind of this, what I experienced as I went through praise and worship. It just felt like a journey as yeah. I was going through the praise and worship. It's like God is freeing us from something, from a lot of things. He's freeing us from. He's freeing us from. And we're shaking off these weights. You know, we're getting into a relationship with him. But but we make the mistake of stopping there. He's freed us from something, and we stop there. Yeah. But there's more to this freedom. He doesn't just free us from something. He frees us For something. The things that happen in your life, the the junk that he has to get out so that he can be in constant communication with you, it's not just for you. It's not just for your consumption. It's so that your life can pour out into the lives of others. It's so that you can bring his presence into the lives of others. So it's for something. And I just, I feel like our journey sometimes stops at the from but it needs to continue for the four. So know that what's happening to you and in you is not just for you. Come to the encounter and experience why God has you here,
1: yeah. what he created you for. Exactly. You know, and, uh, and that's, that's really it. Like we are on a pathway to maturity, right? Jesus Christ is that standard of maturity. And there's no one here that's arrived. I haven't arrived, but I keep walking forward on that pathway to maturity. And um, we have these pathway to maturity classes that are coming up. They talked about it in the pre-service loop. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because I did in first service and it got me in trouble because we ended up taking a little bit longer in our message than (laughs) what I had hoped. But there are cards like this that talk about the practical evangelism course, the recovery from... Codependent relationships or moving in the prophetic, the classes that are going to be offered starting March 8th, these classes are there to help equip you to be the you that God wants you to be. And so take advantage of those opportunities. You can pick up one of these in the Welcome Center. You can, you know, dive into a little more detail of what each class offers and find out. And if you can put up that that, uh, path, the Church Pathway, just so that people understand, because some people are visual and, and they like to see, well, what does this do for me? Um, they're not finding it, Des. All right. While they're finding it, real quick. There it is. Um, oh, awesome. So we have all these things encounter, all things WCF, D12O classes. But all of these things are to get us onto the pathway to maturity, which is kind of like a process of training and application, training, sorry, equipping, equipping, right? Equipping, application, more equipping, more application, so that we grow up into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And um, scroll that up so you can see
2: right from D2LO into connecting and serving and the different things that are happening around here and the
1: pathway to maturity of the And talking about the connecting and serving part, right after this service, I want to see everybody go down to the fellowship hall. Why? I don't hear anybody asking why. (laughs) Because we have Team Ministry Day, which is an opportunity for you to find a place of serving. If you're not serving... Somewhere, whether it's here in the church or outside of the church, there's departments, different ministry departments are represented there, and they can share with you what their ministry is all about and how you can connect and be a part of what God is doing here in our body. Amen. And lastly, real, real brief, um, a pop-up opportunity live at Bo Cafe, just outside in the foyer, every Sunday in March, if you are looking for a place to connect, a small group to connect to it, but you can't commit to a connect group, this is a start point. The topic is shaken, discovering your true identity in the midst of life storms. I'm not gonna go into any more detail, but if you go to the bookstore, they have these little cards that you can read and find out if this actually pertains to you. You ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? All
2: right, they sound ready.
1: That sounds like they're ready. <laughs> you know, um, the scripture reading this morning is one of my favorite parables, um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and I just, like, there's so much to unpack in it, and there's no way that we can literally mm-hmm. unpack everything. Mm-hmm. But, but the story of this lawyer, or, well, we're assuming, I'm going to assume that he's a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And um, he meets with Jesus to ask this important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, don't you go through moments where, you know, the devil's kind of convinced you with some lies and stuff, and you start feeling a little down about yourself, and you question your salvation. Has anybody been there? Yeah, I, I know I have many times. And in those moments of questioning, and perhaps maybe that's where this rich young ruler was, and he comes to Jesus what must i do what is that key and jesus again in like style returns it with another question right and he takes a question and what do the law and the prophets say well love love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself mm-hmm. and then this rich young ruler he's not sure exactly, and I think he, he thought he was going to test him a little bit, test Jesus a little bit. Well, who is my neighbor? And and then he goes on to tell the story of the good Samaritan. Now, Samaritans, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Samaritans and Jews, they weren't re- in relationship with each other. They didn't talk to each other a whole lot. And when the the Jewish traveler was was abducted and beaten and, and things stolen from him and left de- for dead on the road, the passerbys are people who are passing by religious leaders, um, Pharisees and Levites. Levites are kind of like you know, spiritual leaders but in the process of, so they're more, more like you and I, they pass by and, and no, they can't touch him and so they That would be, you know, breaking their law. And so they pass by on the other side. But the Samaritan, he stops. You know, we might say, well, you know, by circumstance, by inconvenience or whatever, he happens to find this man. Mm -hmm. It's it's an interruption to his day. Mm -hmm. How many of you have interruptions in your day? and you have that split moment to process, do I give in to the interruption or do I not? Am I too busy? Have I got this? Have I got that? Right? We've all been there, but we need to understand, like the Good Samaritan, is that interruption perhaps a divine interruption? Is there something there in that interruption... Where God is giving you an opportunity to show love, Mm -hmm. to show compassion. Because that is the heart of the Father.
2: You know, I love this. I love the way the good Samaritan, well, not the good Samaritan, lawyer, he gets there and he says, okay, look, yeah, yeah, I love God with everything in me and love my neighbor as myself. But the scripture says, seeking to justify himself. Yeah. He says, but who's my neighbor? Yeah. And you know what he's getting at there? He's like, surely you can't mean everybody. Because, you know, there are people that are like me, that I hang out with. That's my neighbor. People from the same station in life. Yeah, they're my neighbor. People that have like interests. They're my neighbor. But surely you don't mean them. And I'm looking at the hunters as I say that over there. Surely you don't mean the hunters. (laughs) You know, so, so he's looking to say, I, want, I, I love people, but I don't love everybody. That's right. And if I can qualify this, then I can justify myself. But God wants us to love people, love everybody, not just the ones that are like us. You know, the, as Pastor said, that Samaritan, that Jewish person was nothing like him. Yeah, That didn't stop him from going out of his way and doing everything within his capabilities to show love. Something moved his heart. What
1: was it? God moved his heart. The heart of the Father is a heart of compassion. When you know the Father, it's easy to understand. The heart of the Father is a heart of compassion. He wants that no one lose out. But he wants for everyone to be saved and to be reconciled. And so the heart of the Samaritan was moved with compassion. You know there's this uh, passage in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. And it says, Don't withhold good from those to whom it is due. Amen. Especially when it is in your power to do it. You know, I love it when people say to me, you know, they're asked to do something, and I know they can do it. Well, let me pray about it. God, I see this man here. He's dying, and I know I can maybe help him, but I really don't have time. Can you send somebody else, please? Right? In essence, we, we do that sometimes. Things are presented to us where we have the ability to step in and help to do good, but we come up with excuses. Right? Right? So we have to ask the question.
2: Mm-hmm. Why should we serve?
1: Why why serve?
2: I know. How many know that God has a master plan? Yep. Yes. So what is God's master plan? What is it? I'm so glad you asked. Let's, <laughs> let's turn to Ephesians 2, 7 to 13 to understand what his master plan is. Now, God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus, meaning we're saved. We've come into relationship with him. That's where he has us. Saving is all his idea. Whose idea is it? His idea. And all his work. Whose work is it? His work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. So he's in the saving, the reconciling, the bringing back into relationship business. Yep. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. Who does the making and the saving? God does. Now, he creates each of us. By Christ Jesus to join him. Oh, wait. You mean there's a role for us? You mean he created us with a role in mind? <laughs> he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work that he does. We established what that was. The redeeming, the reconciling, the saving. We join him in that. The good work he got ready for us to do. Work we had better been doing. Better be doing Let me read the rest of it here, but don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of the rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. But now, Because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. Yeah. As growing up, there was a song. At the end of the song, it would say, well, if you didn't know, now you know. So I'm saying, if you didn't know, now you know. God has a role for you. He has a plan, and you have a role in it. Well, that's why the church's vision is the same plan that God has. Redeeming our communities, helping God to redeem for himself a people from all peoples. That is our vision. Well, isn't that what Jesus did? He came, he died, started the reconciling process. Isn't that what Jesus's purpose for the disciples was? Isn't that what he trained and taught them to do? Isn't that what we the church are called to do? Now, the Bible says that God is making his appeal through us. And if you don't believe me, let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 17 to 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that is grafted in, joined to him by faith in him as Savior, we talked about that a little while ago, he is a new creature. Reborn and renewed by the Holy Spirit, the old things, the previous moral and spiritual condition, have passed away. Behold, new things have come because spiritual awakening brings new life. And here we go. But all these things are from God. Who are they from? God, from God. Who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, making us acceptable to Him? So he reconciled us, and then what did He do? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, by our what? By our example, by our example, by our example, we might bring others to Him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors here on this earth. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God.
1: That's a powerful passage. Yeah. Like, (laughs) uh, by our example, not by our preaching, by our example, we need to live Christ. And isn't that
2: what, when we say go be the church, isn't that what we're saying? We're not saying go act like the church. We're saying go be the
1: church. By our example, be the church and bring people to him. Yeah, so like what does ministry look like? Like let's break that down a little bit. Where does it happen? So when here in the church, we
2: gather and we gather to worship and we gather to praise, right? As a body of believers. But something else happens in here. We get to call one another out on our human misbehavior. Oh, yeah. I get to say, Nate, hold on, buddy. I see the way you're acting. You're acting with the same values and beliefs and behavior like you're from this kingdom. But your citizenship is from that kingdom. Whose values should you be emulating? That kingdom. So God's values, God's way of life, God's principles, that's what we bring here, not what's already here. So we, we call one another out. We're like iron sharpening iron, right? And we get to offend one another in here and forgive one another and then offend one another again and forgive one another and offend one another and forgive one another. And what happens as we do that? And we work out all that stuff in here. When we go out there, we can be a wonderful example of what the kingdom looks like. We can exhibit the nature and character of Christ. We can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit and allow him to get involved in the lives of
1: others. Amen? It kind of sounds to me like uh, like here we're church, right? We're going to church. Anybody come to church this morning? Okay, and at the end of this service, There's going to be a declaration. You've been equipped. Now go be the church, right? And so it's no longer the church staying confined, but it's the church being scattered. Amen.
2: So serving in the community is the church being scattered, the church with hands, the church with feet, moving and interacting with people, the church scattered, reestablishing the role that God had in the beginning for Adam, where we cultivate, and we cultivate by the way we live, by the things we say, by the things we don't say, by the things we do, by the things we don't do. We're cultivating, and we're cultivating so that the Holy Spirit can get involved, because we don't do the work. Who does the work? He does. But we have a job to come alongside of him and cultivate, Amen. cultivate, so he can get involved in our life, and he can get involved in theirs.
1: You know, I like that terminology of cultivating. You know, I, I grew up on a farm, so I understand cultivating. And, um, you know, whenever my dad was preparing to seed, to plant seeds, there was the requirement of cultivation or preparing the soil for the seed that happened prior. Amen. And, um, you know, regarding ministry or serving, cultivation has the same, the same reference where my engagement, my relationship that God gives me with an individual is nothing more than preparing their soil to receive the seed. And the fruit of it is not my responsibility. It's his. It's his responsibility. But sometimes well, I didn't see any results and I get discouraged. And so the next time, I don't, I'm not so quick to plant or prepare the soil again. I'm not so quick to cultivate. But see, when I cultivated for my father, I didn't see the results right away. There was time that had to happen. It's the same thing in the spiritual realm. And we're gonna get into a little bit more detail of that. But, but you know, cultivation is like discipleship. And and we have this idea that discipleship begins at the moment that somebody confesses the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord. That's when discipleship begins. I'm waiting for somebody to yell out, that's not true. No. (laughs) It's not true. Discipleship begins at the opportunity that God places at your doorstep or when you're going out To have relationship with somebody. Even if it's just momentarily. You don't know the length. Or what's going to happen with that relationship. In that moment. You may encounter somebody in the grocery store. You may encounter somebody on the street. Where the Holy Spirit just guides and directs you. To stop and pray for them. And that is discipleship. And and hopefully by the time we get to the end. That's all going to make a little bit more sense. But you know. There's this passage in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. It says, uh, reading from the New King James Version, it says, Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, his forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? Who is the one that leads somebody to repentance? God, it's not you. It's not you. You are just the instrument God uses to plant the seed. We call that a disker in farming terms. What's a disker? <laughs> well, it turns the soil just enough to drop the seed at the right depth in the ground so that it has the greatest possibility of developing fruit. And so we become God's diskers. Amen. I mean, I'm not sure, but th- that's out west terminology. Here in Ontario, you may call it something different, and that's okay. <laughs> but you know, I love that part because it's it, what Pastor's saying is
2: it's the goodness. Yeah. How do people experience the goodness of God through you, you who are connected? That's how they experience the goodness of God. How do you think that Samaritan responded? just picture picture the dire situation he was in and how that person went out of their way i mean out of their way to love on them provide for them make sure they were safe what can you picture this person opening their eyes and starting to feel better could you imagine what's going on in their heart how they're feeling do you think they feel noticed do you feel you think they feel accepted Do you think they feel loved? Do you think they feel valued and appreciated? And they don't know this person, so who are they looking to Mm -hmm. when these feelings come? They're looking to the Father, because the Father's hands and feet did that. So they experience it as God's love, as God's acceptance. That's the the goodness
1: of God leading man to repentance. So, discipleship happens immediately. When God gives you an opportunity to engage with somebody, that's a moment of discipleship. But where does discipleship happen? Because we can be intentional about discipleship. When we understand what God's role for us is in life, you know, about being a neighbor to all people. Then we have to mentally process where is the most logical place for that neighboring to take place. You know, um, you come to church and you spend one and a half hours, maybe two hours here on a Sunday morning. And then you go back and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and possibly Saturday, you go to work. Intellectually, we often separate work. From church. What if, Des, what if we were to mentally process that when we go to work, we're taking church with us? What would that mean? What would that look like? What would it look like for you if you were to mentally process that on Monday, when you wake up, you're going to be taking church with you somewhere? Do you know that you glorify God in your nine to fives, Monday to Friday? It's not in the notes, but you know, uh, in Romans 12, verses one and two, you know, there's the, the passage about do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but renew your mind. And the next verse, it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that look like to offer your body as a living sacrifice? Holy and pleasing to God. So your body, it's with your body that you work. And even if it's intellectual, that's part of your body. But we offer it to God as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is how we glorify God.
2: So, with that, why don't, we, uh, why don't we turn to the videos? And Jonathan, why don't you come forward?
3: Where are you? Maybe it's right where you need to be. Cultivation happens in your vocation, and the workers are few. You can be called, but first the caller must change you. I'm constantly encouraged by the missionaries I meet. For instance, Pam's a podiatrist, she has beautiful feet. Raheem is a boxer, he's beating the best. But his hardest fight is when he's daily fighting his flesh. I know a doctor, his name is Jason. He prays that the Lord keeps working on his patients. Sarah works in fashion, but she's no slave to the dollar. She's clothed in righteousness, whether white or blue collar. Jimmy is a fisherman, but he's found new purpose. Keith fishes for souls, but he calls it networking. Ling is a judge out in Las Vegas, but her favorite part of work is the cross-examination. Keisha owns a bakery with her husband, Ramon. They always tell their kids not to live off that bread alone. Keith plays basketball, and everywhere he goes, he has a defense for the faith while reaching for his goals. Theo is an officer, and this might sound crazy. He's the only cop I know who wakes up to die daily. My cousin at the IRS, His name is Thomas. On many different levels, he deals with false prophets. Cultivation happens in your vocation, and the harvest is plenty. You don't have to be an architect to build a better city.
1: Here's a concept I'd love for you to really just to kind of wrap your mind around. Work as worship. What if you saw
4: worship not as something you simply did in a couple hours at your church on the weekend, but you saw your work itself as an expression of praise to God. When work is worship, you work exceptionally hard, but you're doing it as an act of faithfulness to God. Think about this, especially if you're an employer, you are responsible for crafting one of the largest sections of your employees' lives. The quality of their lives in many ways will depend on the environment that you create for them because that's where they're going to spend more hours than anywhere else. My challenge for you is for you to think
1: about your work right now from the perspective of eternity. How are you gonna wish that you had viewed your work?
0: I think with any job is meant to be used as worship to our sovereign God who has placed us in that position.
1: There's so
2: much about putting others first and the greatest commandment that is consistent with building great product. I am in business in order to save people time and money, and that's an orientation that fires me up every day and every morning.
0: This is my job. This is honoring him by raising these children and hopefully doing a good job to raise them.
1: I've I've often thought of myself as as being a missionary, but a vocational missionary. So I think about myself at, at the workplace as being God's representative there.
4: Good morning, WCF. My name is Jonathan. And this morning, I want to share with you a thought on the work we do. Are you a housewife, a manager, or a CEO? Are you a public office holder, just to name a few? Do you ask yourself the question to know why you do the work you do at the place you do it? Common sense tells me that I do my work to win bread, to make money build a a fortune. There is nothing bad about that. How does knowing your work is is God's assignment? And your workstation is God's placement, influence your attitude to work? Did you know your attitude to work has an impact on your colleagues? Does it point Them to God or to you? Is the manner you do your work an expression of your thank you to God for the skills and the gifts He has given you? Did you know your job placement is where your primary mission field is? How does this reality change the perspective you have? of your work. Thank you. Thanks,
2: Jonathan. Amen. Now, Jonathan. Jonathan is, is going to be leading a class called Leadership in the Workplace. And a number of us are coming alongside him uh, to assist him in facilitating that class. But there's a lot of truths that'll come out that'll help to guide you in that mission field he's talking about. But I, I wanted to share my testimony with you at this juncture, a part of my testimony. Um, I, I felt called to the ministry very, very early on in my career, and there was an opportunity that was opening up in the church to be, be a youth pastor here, but I, but I also felt called to the marketplace, and I understood that ministry, you know, was done in the church, you know, that, you know, if I was called to the ministry, it meant I was going to go to Bible school, that, uh, that I was going to become a pastor or that I was gonna be out on the mission field someplace. That's what ministry work was. And so I, here I am being called to the marketplace, I feel, but that's secular work, not the sacred work. And so I spent all these years in the marketplace, and I'm retired now, but after 28, 29 year career, I realized that I have been pastoring in the marketplace that I've been shepherding in in the marketplace. I'm not sure what it says. <laughs> they, they they put this out first service at Pastor Des Griffiths. But that that's pastoring in the marketplace. <laughs> no, I, I realized that 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 purpose, that calling, that presence in me to lead people where the rubber meets the road, it's not, it's not specific to a building or a place. It's everywhere. Yeah. And so all this time i had been shepherding and pastoring and ministering. And it opened my eyes because here I am at the end of my career and I'm understanding that I have been fulfilling that yeah. calling. I just somehow thought the sacred work was only in here and what was out there was secular but I now understand that it's all sacred because God's kingdom is everywhere. And where you are, that's where his kingdom is because he says the kingdom of God is, is in you. So where you go, that's where it is. And you bring all of that, your identity, that aspect of your identity to it.
1: So my story is like Des's, but flipped. Um, Colleen and I are returning from Bolivia after a 10-year ministry as missionaries, um, where we were church planters. And I was Pastor Larry in Bolivia. And um, when we came back, you know, just seeking the Lord's face in regards to, or regarding what he wanted from me, in my heart and in my mind, I'm I'm like, well, logically, I would go back into, into a place of ministry. And I, in fact, received all kinds of offers from churches knowing that I was coming back, to become a pastor, but the Lord in my spirit just didn't give me peace about it, and, and he directed me. He said, I want you to go into the secular market, and I'm thinking, oh man, well, okay, because I, I mean, I'd already experienced what happens when you're disobedient. I didn't want to be disobedient. I wanted to be obedient, and so um, I, I got a job in the, in the secular world, but it wasn't what I had hoped for. Um, I was over, overqualified and under-experienced. And so I had to finally dumb down my resume and get a job as a manufacturer, like on the floor. And um, in that, um, I, ca- I cried out to God so many times, Lord, what is my value? What is my purpose? Is this all I'm good for? And I really struggled with that. I really did. Until after about three months, the Lord showed me he had a purpose and a calling for me there. And it completely shifted my thinking. It shifted the way I was processing my job. And so I began praying, Father God, as I go to work today, I pray that you would open the doors to the opportunities that you have for me. And a lot of the people that were coming, because they knew that I was a Christian, you know, trying to make me swear and trying to make me do all these bad things. Well, you know, for me, I thought, you know, like, I can't do this. But anyways, um, and um, little did I know that God worked through that to open up doors. And just to make a long story short, God shifted my title over time as people saw my character. And, and, And the fact that I cared about people and I loved on people and I elevated people so that it looked like they were the ones that did all the good work and I'm just the one, but somebody's always watching. I didn't understand the influence that I had in the moment, but I just did it for God. I says, okay, God, this is my, this is my calling. And the confusion of calling and title changed to a place where I realized that that place was my calling. And I had the incredible, awesome privilege of leading my boss to the Lord. And not only that, but his three children. And I baptized him. And I watched him grow and mature as I discipled him. He is now the board chairman of the church where we attended. Isn't God great? Amen. You know, and so this whole thing, Pastor Des Griffiths or Pastor Larry Lowen, it's a title. The calling is what defines us. We are God's ambassadors we are called to shepherd, to pastor those that God puts in our pathway. Amen.
2: And you know, and many of us, you know, we're hitting on it. We get our career and our purpose confused. Yeah. That's what we're understanding here, right? We just spent some time establishing what our purpose is, right? We read Ephesians 2, 7 to 13, that show that God has a master plan and that we're part of that master plan. Yeah. We read 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 20, where it said, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. That what God is doing is what he's also asked us to join him in doing. So it is clear why we're here. Yep. He created us to join him in this very thing. That is our purpose. We should never be confused about our purpose. That's right. And its purpose is much bigger than us, right? That's huge. There's enough there to keep you and carry you and, and live a fulfilled life. That's your purpose. Your career is your assignment, right? The Bible makes clear our purpose in the community is where our ministry takes place. And we just laid a foundation for our career, our jobs, being that large part of our community.
1: Yeah. You know, I, and there's a quote by um, Jeff Vanderstelt from The Verge Network that I absolutely love. He says, You are the ministers. Okay, let me stop. <laughs> Who? Whom are the ministers? Whom? If you're a minister, if you, if you are a minister of the gospel... I want to ask you to stand with me. Okay. Okay. You can sit down. Yep. <laughs> let, let me finish this quote. Let me finish this quote. You are the ministers of this church. Okay. So we don't all identify with that. He goes on. In fact, you are all full-time paid staff of this church. Okay, now if I was to ask, if you're a full-time paid staff of this church, I can almost guarantee fewer people would stand up. But he goes on, God is routing his money to you from some other company so you can get paid for full-time ministry wherever you are. Wherever you are. We are all paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the price for us. He paid it in full. So we now belong to him. We now belong to him. I got a dance on that one or something. I don't know. (laughs) Woo-hoo! You know, and so so the reality is this, okay? If you are a full-time minister the reality of being called a royal priesthood mm. becomes more understandable. The Bible actually says, and he's talking to followers, true followers of Jesus Christ, you are priests. You are priests. What, what does a priest do? A priest goes to the
2: Father on behalf of the people. A priest, priest now that the veil is torn, moves And approaches God for himself. Remember we used to have to go through someone to do this? Yep. When that veil was torn, we now approach him face to face. We are a kingdom of priests. That's part of our identity. That's a big part of our identity. A huge part. When you understand that, it changes everything.
1: You know, it changed everything for me. It honestly did. I learned that the job that God gave me was an opportunity for me to be a priest in that place. And people began coming to me and asking, can you pray for me? Can you pray for my my daughter? Can you pray for my mom? Can you pray for my uncle? And I began to be this person who never went to coffee because I was diligent in my work to a person who was asked, can you come and join me for coffee? And I would go and join them. These were the same people that began to poke and prod and, and try and get me to swear and do everything so that I would put a toonie in a swear jar.
2: You know what pastor is saying there is huge because the other aspect is that we're a temple. We don't really go to a temple anymore. We are a temple. Does anyone understand that? We are the temple of the living God who dwells within us. So when when we say go be the church with hands and feet, you're taking that temple to everywhere you go. Don't be surprised that people are coming to you with questions that need answers. Don't be surprised that they want you to pray for them. Don't be surprised that that they're looking for your advice. They're going to the temple because they know when they encounter you, they're going to encounter him. That's cultivating. Because you've done your job of stewarding this relationship you have with him, of getting this junk out on a daily basis so that he can flow and he can move because it's more than just about us. That's right. You are a temple everywhere you go so that God can encounter people and people can encounter God and they can see their lives changed because he's in the life-changing business. That's right.
1: That's right. You wanna keep going? Get into the whole cultivation thing. That's because that's what it is. That's exactly what it is.
2: So when we talk about this work as an assignment, what does that look like? So we talked about the temple in this place, but but this assignment, I'm not talking about going around preaching to everybody every day. You're getting paid there to do a job, widgets, sales, calls, whatever. But we read that it was by our example, did we not? Yeah. This ministry of reconciliation that we were called to, we said, by our example, leading people. So Colossians 3, 23, 24 says, work willingly at whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your deeds and moral excellence point people to him. 3 John 1 verse 12 says, A good reputation. It was talking about Demetrius. It said, Demetrius is a good person. Mm-hmm. I can vouch for him. His reputation went before him and followed him. 2 Corinthians 3:18 says, See and reflect the glory of God as he changes you. People start to see the changes that are happening in your life. You are a living example of what God is doing in that workplace. They see it, they know what you were like, they see you differently now. They they recognize the things that you are going through, the changes, the wonderful fruit that starts to come from your life. Deuteronomy 28:8 says, God blesses your workplaces because you are there. Your barns, your storehouses, the vehicle that he uses to put finances into your home for your family, your provision. He blesses that. Amen. First Corinthians 15:58 says, Excel. Have endurance. Know that your labor is not without purpose. And the labor he's talking about here is that labor of reconciling people. Not so much that punch press you're operating. But he's saying, know that as you're doing that punch press operation, it's really about reconciliation of people. And know that that labor is not in vain. That's what he's saying there. So that's what it
1: looks like in the workplace. So we, 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 we listen to this, and, and we we're receiving it and understanding it, but I still think that there's some confusion regarding titles. Yeah. And um, reflecting back to the video and the class that, that you're going to be leading together with the team, um, leadership in the workplace. Mm-hmm. You may say, oh, I'm not a leader, so that class is definitely not for me. And so I think we need to have a quick conversation regarding what does it really mean to be a leader? Yeah, for sure. And, and um, you know, I'm not going to ask you to stand up again, even though some of you are falling asleep and you need to. <laughs> but, but the truth is, if you don't see yourself as a leader, just by raising your hand, tell me how many of you have somebody in your life that you have influence over? That may be your child, Okay. And if you're just a you know a young child it may be that it's your younger sibling. The truth of the matter is is there's not a single person in this room that doesn't have influence over the life of somebody.
2: Amen. That's
1: right. Okay? There's always somebody watching.
2: Always. We all agree we have influence. My 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 grandma used to say you are the, you are the company that you keep <laughs> or be careful who you hang out with. Don't hang out with those people, Des. Hang out with those people. You now, I'm pointing at the hunters. I'm redeeming myself. Yeah. <laughs> hang out with those people. <laughs> you are the company you keep. So that is recognizing that there's influence, right? Well, exactly. And so we
1: have to ask the question or define the question, so what is leadership?
2: Yeah. I mean, leadership is effectively stewarding your influence.
1: It pretty- has nothing to do with title. Nothing whatsoever. It has nothing to do with title or there. It, it has nothing to do with title or position. The truth of the matter is we are all called to influence somebody's life. Amen. To be an influencer, right? To lead people into a relationship with the Father. And so leadership in the kingdom is completely different than the way the world looks at leadership.
2: Absolutely. In the world, you're a leader because you have a title, because people report to you, because you have direct reports. But in the kingdom, you're a leader because of the one that is inside of you, because he's called you to join him in the work. That qualifies you as a leader. And so you start to understand this concept of, in the world, they talk about servant leadership. It's a biblical concept, but you, you hear them. They serve your teammates. You know, serve your direct reports. Help them to be successful. They'll talk about it in all the business schools. But they miss one thing. They can't authentically do it because devoid of Christ, we are all selfish. We are all self-seeking. We are all about ourselves. It is a submitted life to Jesus Christ that causes us to prefer others. This is why you as believers are in the best position to lead. Because you know how to die daily. The self and put others first yeah. this is what qualifies you nothing to do with anything except the one that you are submitted to so when you hear servant leadership i want you to focus on the servant part and the most important question you can ask yourself is who is leading you oh, good. That's it. who is leading you yeah because if you are led well you will lead well i promise you he's a great leader focus on that intimacy in that relationship
1: Work on that, and you will lead well. So authentic leadership only comes from having that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And you know, like in John 15, there's the story of the vine and the branches. And um, what is it that causes the branches to bear fruit? It's the connection to the vine. The branches aren't going to bear fruit in and of themselves. The only way a branch can bear fruit is if it's connected to the vine. Who is the vine? As we draw from him, as we allow him to flow through us, fruit happens. Jesus is the source of fruit. Amen. Not you. We are just that obedient vessel. When he says, go pray, we go pray. When he says, go love on them, go love on them. When he says, give them your cloak also, you give them your cloak also. You just do it. And in that, we become authentic leaders.
2: We're winding it down now, but leadership, leadership looks different at different levels of authority. In a company. If you're the CEO or the business owner, you have the ability to establish the culture using biblical principles and values, a culture that will allow the Holy Spirit to get involved. Yeah. But if you run a division, you can do the same thing for that division in terms of being salt and light and establishing the values in that business, that division. If you're a department leader, you can be salt and light in your department. If you're a team leader... You can affect your team and the way they engage others and the way they lead. And if you're a team member, you can be salt and light, influencing your coworkers. So leadership has nothing to do with positional authority. No. It's everything to do with who is inside of you. You lead at every level. Amen?
1: You know, and to, just to recap that point as well, the more intimate your relationship with the Father, the better you will lead. Amen. That's right. Amen. Um, He is the one that leads and guides you into being that servant. He has given us the example. It's his master plan. It's joining him in his family business. It's an attitude of dying to self, an attitude of surrendering and submitting to him. That's what leadership is.
2: Amen. So can you guys stand with us? At this time,
1: just some points to recap. First and foremost, we need to know who we are, but more importantly, whose we are. Do you see yourself as who? God has told you you are. Do you see yourself as a priest? God loved you before you ever had your eyes on him. And you know what? He loves you just the way you are. The world tells you, well, I've got to change. I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this. And then I'm ready to serve. No. He loves you just the way you are. Know who you are. And know whose you are, and
2: see people the way that God sees them, not from an earthly point of view. If you see them from an earthly point of view, you'll likely get offended. But ask Him to show you how He sees them, so that your heart can be moved with compassion, the way He is. How many of us have those unlovable people in our lives? Oh yeah, come on now. It takes everything, right? And if you do it in your own strength, if you try to approach it from a human point of view, it's not going to happen. But then you remember where you came from. You remember what you were like. You remember the grace, the mercy he has for you. When you start seeing it from his perspective, he'll give you the words that will free those people, that will change them. So don't fight it with carnal weapons. Ask him to give you insight. So that you can see them and love them the way he loves them. So that they'll
1: experience it. We are all part of a bigger story. We really are. We're just a small part of God's greater story. Remember that. There is more to the story than what you understand in the moment. And so if we can keep our eyes and our understanding focused on the bigger picture. This is for the redemption of the world, your influence can only impact a few. But I can tell you from personal experience that the people that have influenced me, I wonder sometimes what would have happened had they not been the example to me that they were. Likewise, there are people who are dependent upon your example. And we are just part of the puzzle. Amen. Of the bigger picture.
2: Amen. This one really gets me. Something I do daily. I ask myself continually, are people drawn to our Father Mm -hmm. through the interactions they have with me? After a conversation, before a conversation, when I understand that I'm a minister, when I understand that I'm a priest, this is my primary concern. Are people drawn to our Father through the interactions they have with me. It changes everything in the way I engage people. And pick up your cross. Yeah. Pick up your cross every day or your ways will not be his ways and your thoughts will not be his thoughts. And how do you pick up your cross? What does that mean? It means daily dying. <coughs> it means daily confessing, daily repenting. Daily abiding. It's a daily activity.
1: Know and understand that your words are powerful. Every word that comes out of your mouth has the power to give life or to take life away. Be intentional about being life-giving in your words. Be intentional about communicating acceptance. Acceptance. Love, patience, understanding, self-control. Your life is bought by Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He allowed his body to be broken so that we could be that example, those ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ to be instruments of blessing, Ambassadors of love to draw people's hearts back to the Father but we need to be stay we need to remain to be connected with the vine with the Holy Spirit every time we partake in communion allow yourself to not just make it habitual I mean we want it to be habitual but in a good way Remember. It says, remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Remember the cross. He died. And what does death on the cross mean? We need to die to self. We need to, like Christ, we need to die to self. We need to understand that there is no resurrection without death. Easter's coming. There's no resurrection without death. And we are called to die to self. And so as we die to self, life happens. New life. I remember that when I partake of the bread. Let's remember and partake together.
2: And Father, we thank you for your shed blood. It's blood that allows us to be in relationship with you, relationship with our Father. It was a steep price that you paid, one we could not pay on our own, so you paid it for us. We thank you, Father, that we are able to join you in bringing other sons and daughters home. We're grateful that we get to be in the family business with you, me thank you for the opportunity to bring your kingdom into every sphere of influence we have we remember your sacrifice we remember the way that you paid for us right now as we partake In jesus name.
1: after the benediction if you're needing prayer the ministry teams will be at the front of the church feel free to come forward and uh, be ministered God bless you.
0: That was an amazing service, was it not? It was. Thank you so much Pastor Larry and Pastor Dez. I just had to say that. So, just kind of gazing, you know, in the bright lights, so I can kind of see. I think everybody's breathing, correct? If you're breathing, yeah. If you're breathing, you can serve. You can serve your neighborhood, your your neighbors, your where you work. Um, And I found this quote, and this just says it so perfectly. It's uh, by Martin Luther King Jr. It says, "Everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics in physics to serve." You only need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love.
1: I get the mic this time? Cool. (laughs) I uh, don't want to hold you up. I know you're real anxious to get out there and practice what these guys were showing us today. So, uh, Windsor Christian Fellowship, you have been equipped.